Good. Well, good morning. I'm Rod. I'm one of the leaders here. This morning's subject is the collection. We are picking up 1 Corinthians. We've got just two more sessions on uh, this letter. And the first one is this morning. We've only got four verses to look at, but there's a lot to say, actually. So it's, um, let's press on and we'll see what God says to us this morning. Now, Paul, up to this point, he's been looking at all sorts of issues. And the last thing that he dealt with before we get to this point, he has been uh, talking about the resurrection of Jesus and how we eventually will all literally share in that resurrection. And although he doesn't put it in quite these terms, what he is looking forward to in the future as we rise with Christ is a new heaven and a new earth, the the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. We're going to be with Jesus and we're going to have new bodies and we're going to live on a new earth where Jesus is going to be king and death will be defeated and uh, sorrow and pain and anguish will be of things no more. And Jesus will be all in all. Isn't that an amazing thing? And by the looks of your faces, you think, yes, I've heard this 100 times, but it should still excite us. Hallelujah. 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 (laughs) That's what we're looking forward to. (laughs) Oh, he's too enthusiastic. (laughs) And then Paul comes to this matter. Is this a coming down to earth? Well, let's see. It's about the collection. Now, about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the churches or the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then... When I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. And that's it. Four verses. Four very practical verses. And this is, in a sense, what's happening. You know, just before Christmas, we had a message from a young woman in Bulgaria. We had just the vaguest memory of this person. And she said that she was training to be a a lawyer and she was beginning her first year of work, but they don't get paid in the first year. It's the last year of their training. So, she got this flat. Could we send her some money? Well, we hardly knew her, and we were a bit bit concerned, but our friends from Bulgaria now live in Ipswich, so we consulted with them, and their immediate response was, if she has asked for the money... She must be in need. She's a person of integrity, of honesty. And you know that if you give her money, it will be used for what she says. So we forwarded some money to her. 
not all that she wanted, but what we felt God had said. And the very day we did that, some money arrived in our account from a friend to help us with a different project, and it was exactly the same amount. <laughs> Praise God. Just after Christmas, we got another appeal. <laughs> but this time, from a young woman who lives in Romania, a Romanian. And she told us a sob story. I have three children, and I, I, I need money. I have no food, I need money. This person we knew. So, praise God for WhatsApp. Immediately, I contacted my, contact, my friends in uh, Romania and said, what was going on? Very quickly back. This person is going round the village begging for money. She's promising to pay back. She doesn't do it. She's squandering her money on this, that and the other. If you want to give, give. But we're trying to help her and uh, we're not really succeeding. So we didn't give. Sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? But to help her, we needed to withhold those funds because it would have just have added to her problems. Mm. You know, the first piece of advice that Heather and I received when we first travelled to Eastern Europe was this. Don't throw money around. Why? Because it can often cause a lot of trouble. And we have seen people, uh, people that we know, dish out money to help folks, very well intentioned, perhaps needed. What's happened is other families have got jealous and have come running for more. And actually, you're beginning to create problems more where there were, were none. And we have even seen churches at each other. Why have we been given the gift and we haven't? They've been given it and we haven't. All I'm saying here is that when we give, we need to be wise. And so this is all a bit of an introduction to what Paul says here. And it's interesting that Paul's, Paul's words here are quite practical. It's about the collection. How? It's implied in the word. The word collection there is not the amount, but the method. You know, some churches you have the collection. It's how you do it. <laughs> that's what that word means, not the amount that's given. Secondly, who is for the Lord's people? And we find that in verse 1. Thirdly, where? In Jerusalem. But in these verses, there's no, no reason why. And we have to look elsewhere to find the reason for the collection. And we can find that in Romans 15, 26, because there was poverty in the church in Jerusalem. Very practical. But why should believers give? Why, what does giving for Christians mean over and above what it means for everyone else? And let's face it, children in need, other things, Red Nose Day, that 
fantastic. But what is special for the Christian about giving? We can't find the answer to that in these verses. We have to look elsewhere. And the main place to look is in actually 2 Corinthians. So very briefly, let's have a look at that. Why should we give? It's more than just giving. First of all, it's a ministry of grace. Look at this. But since you excel in everything, says Paul to the Corinthians, still talking about this ministry of giving, see that you excel in the grace of giving. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. We cannot describe the riches that the Son of God enjoyed before he was born on earth. How do you describe the riches that he enjoyed with God the Father and God the Spirit in heaven, as it were, before he became a man? We had read to us that fantastic, amazing passage that Jesus, though he was equal with God, he did not count equality with God something to be held on to, but emptied himself. He gave up all the riches in glory to become a man, a human being, a person like you and me. Why? Because we were so desperately poor because of what sin and evil and death was doing to us. In God's eyes, we are poor. The world is, is broken. Society is broken. Men, women, neglect God. We're poor. And yet for our sakes, the Son of God became poor so that you and I, we, could become rich. Not rich materially, but rich in hope, rich in peace, rich in love, rich in purpose, rich in life. That's what Jesus has done for us. Overwhelming. We've talked about with me in the storm, with me in the good times, with me in the bad times. That's a life of richness. And he's done it for us. And if you don't know that really in your heart of hearts, this morning... Put your trust in the one who, though he was supremely, amazingly rich, became poor for you, so that you might be rich. That's the basis that all giving is based on. It's grace, it's charis. We're charismatic Christians, we claim. So we should be people of 
grace. And we give as a response to that. Isn't that right? I believe that people in the world give because there's still something of the image of God in us. But we give in response to what God has given us in Jesus. And as we give, then the person who receives, receives something of that grace. It's not just a material gift. It has a spiritual impact. Grace received. Right. It's a bestowal of blessing. What does Paul say? I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for a generous gift you have promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Let me say here, this is nothing to do with the so-called prosperity gospel. I actually read stuff this week where a church was teaching, you seed it, in, in other words, you give, and they were asking people to give huge amounts, and they said, you would get more back. That is absolute nonsense. And that church is now in trouble with the charity commissions and all sorts, but no, we won't worry about that. It's nothing to do with that. The word generous is the same word, eulogia, from which we get the word eulogy. In other words, blessing or praise. When we give, we bless the people that we're giving to. Whatever that means. That's what we're doing. It's amazing that the gift we give carries with it the blessing of God. So it's not just a monetary gift that you're giving, but it's something of the blessing of God that the person receives because you gave it. Fantastic. It's a ministry. Those who give and those who receive are blessed. doesn't mean that if you give a pound, you're going to get back ten pounds. It doesn't mean that. <laughs> what it means is that there will that be deep satisfaction and God will honour it in some way. He will. But we do it to bless the person and, of course, it blesses God as well. Thirdly, it's a demonstration of fellowship. They, that's the Macedonians actually, urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. The word sharing there is the word koinonia, which is the word fellowship. 
So there is a, a oneness, a joining between the person who gives and the person who receives. And Paul here, ultimately, was thinking about the unity between Gentile and Jew. It was very important to Paul. Paul's heart was breaking because not more Jewish people were coming to know Jesus. And he longed that more of them would come to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. But those who became followers of Jesus and the Gentiles who became followers of Jesus were bound together in a unity that did not exist before. And giving expresses that. So, we've given recently, and part of that will go to Kenya. Think of Morning Star and Patrick and Grace out there. As we have given to them, we're expressing what? Our unity, our fellowship, our oneness with them. We're blessing them with the grace and blessing of God and we're saying, we're one with you. You're one with us. We're part of the same body. That's the implication of what it means to give. Four is an expression of service to others. Still in 2 Corinthians. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people. That's the word diakonia, from which you get the word deacon. That means general service. When we give, we are serving the people that we give to. And the one who gives is not superior to the one who receives. You know, there's a lot of talk about the British Empire and its effect on Africa, etc., etc. And a lot of that, I believe, was good, but there were things that were really bad. And some of, some of it, Christians bought into, that we were superior to them. That isn't true. Whatever our, our colour, whatever our racial background, we are all made in the image of God. And the fact that we may have and someone may not have, we have plenty and, and he or she does not have plenty, doesn't mean they're inferior. We're all together. So it's a fellowship. We serve our brothers and sisters. We've given to something called 2020, which is aiming to plant churches in Norfolk. We may think, well, it's nothing to do with me. I'm not going to get involved in that. I don't know what's going to happen. It's way out there. I don't know if it'll affect me at all. What you've done, actually, by giving is to serve those who will do that. And you say, be blessed, brothers and sisters. Be blessed as you do that. We're here just to support you and serve you. And finally, it's an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Same word translation, service, but a different Greek word, liturgia, from which we get the word liturgy, meaning sort of worship of God. To give generously is to worship. Now, there are plenty of churches that actually make the offering, the collection, whatever you call it, an act of worship. We don't do that here. 
But every time we give, it's an act of worship. And it may not be in a formal church service, in formal church liturgy, but it's part of our life of worship. Giving is part of whole life worship. Don't feel overwhelmed. <laughs> Just say, thank you, God, that you've given me, you've given us so much. And let's move on from there. So, here's a brief guide to apostolic giving. We're nearly, this will be quite brief. Here we go. It should be regular. And we can apply this not just to special gift days, but to ordinary giving. Paul says, lay up something, set something aside on the first day of the week. Interesting, the first day of the week. He's just finished talking about the resurrection. When did the resurrection happen? On the first day of the week, which was the natural day then for believers in Jesus to praise and worship, the first day of the week. And this is probably the first indication that we have in the Scriptures that this is the day that believers in Jesus worship together. There are other indications in the book of Acts. But isn't it fantastic? We do it. Why are we here on a Sunday and not a Saturday? Why are we not Sabbatarians, but why are we worshipping on a Sunday? Historically, it's because today is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And even though most diaries and calendars now put Monday as the first day of the week, my father-in-law highly objected to that. <laughs> but we still worship Jesus on the day that he rose again. It's not a law. There's nothing in the scriptures that says we have to. But what a tremendous tradition. One worth keeping up. That we can come together and we can celebrate. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Wow. So it's a good day to set aside some money <laughs> because other days of the week they're filled with everything else. So it's a good day to do that and regular giving is helpful. I'm sure people who are involved in the money side of, of the church it would say, yes it is. <laughs> Two, it's for everyone. Giving is for everyone. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money, says Paul. Everyone? Really? Rich and poor? My goodness, there were slaves in the church. Wow. How does that happen? Slaves and free. Men and women. Jew and Gentile. You know, Paul sees that everyone, everyone can take part in this privilege. Whatever their background, whatever their social status, whatever their position and standing in life, you can take part. No one's gift, no one's gift is despised and no one's gift is more highly valued. I know in my first ministry, I don't think anybody's on earth to hear this now, um, but I know in my first ministry there was a family in particular that got a lot of clout in the church. Why? Because they gave money. Shouldn't be, you know. 
everybody's gift, large or small, is valuable. It really is. Okay. It should be proportionate. Paul says, in keeping with your income. Aha! Literally, as he has prospered. Now that's why the slave can give. Because in the slave's ordinary life, he or she would, would give, collect a little bit. So as God has prospered, so you give. The amount is not important. I think that's already come through. It's the spirit in which is given. And do you notice there's no mention of a tithe? Oops, that's, that might be a subject for another, another time. I'm going to leave it at that. But you won't find the tithe in the New Testament. It doesn't. Anyway. Every gift is as valuable. Do you understand what I mean when I said it carries the same weight of grace and blessing? Somebody might give 50 pence here because that's all that they can at that time. Somebody might give 500 pounds. Which gift carries the most blessing and grace? Neither. Neither. They both carry the same. Because it's the matter of the heart. Planned. Taking sort of regular a bit first. Save it up, says, says Paul. Now, it may be that they, they, they put it weekly in the church's treasury. That's what some people think. Most likely, it means they had to keep it at home. We mustn't impose modern church systems on them. They weren't, that wasn't like that then. So save it up. In other words, plan what you give. Uh, Paul's pretty practical here, because he knew that if people saved up a bit, and they didn't have one sort of massive collection when he came, which would yield the larger result. The bit-by-bit bit planning. He's pretty, he's pretty canny, Paul, you know? He knows what he's doing here. But he's saying, fine, plan your giving. Plan your giving. And it helps those who give and those who receive. If we plan what we give and we know what's going out per week, per month, then that helps us and the people who receive doesn't it? If you know what's coming in regularly to the church funds, it helps, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. And no outward show. So Paul says, so that when I come, no collections can be made. Well, I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes a, a demonstration of an offering is, is fine. But he doesn't want to fuss, does he? Paul doesn't, really. He doesn't, he doesn't want to have to, to say, come on, church, give this and do that and that. He'd like it all to be settled when he comes. And he's actually reflecting the teaching of Jesus, isn't he? You know, don't make an outward show of what you give. The only person you impress is other people. You don't impress God by doing that. You don't impress God by saying, hey, I, you know, I've given a hundred pounds. doesn't impress God at all. It's reflecting what Jesus says. 
ultimately what we give is between us and God. That's where it begins. That's where it ends. And I, I'm not necessarily going to speak for the other leaders here, but as, as a leader, I would not tell you what to give. It's between you and God. And Paul says, I will give letters of instruction to the men you approve so that the gift can go to, to Jerusalem. In other words, it's got to be administered responsibly. And it would make sure that the people who took the gift got a welcome in Jerusalem. Very practical here. Anyone who deals with money in the church has a very responsible task and deserves our thanks. Let's show it then. Yes. <laughs> Don't you agree? Yeah, indeed. Very practical. So let's, let's just wrap this up and bring it to an end. Giving in fellowship and unity that is amongst us and with those to whom we give. Giving in fellowship and unity, we serve those to whom we give. We do. We minister the grace and the blessing of God through those gifts. And in doing so, we worship the one who gives us all things. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you have given me. Me. Us. Amen? Amen. Amen.